Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... God! 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 To be the man! You gotta beat the man! The 2-1. Swung lane, drive left field! This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm Jason Powers. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Before we get to our episode this week, I want to mention our sponsors. First off, if you want to reach out to us, reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. Let us know how what you think, how we're doing, got any suggestions for us, topics you'd like to see us cover. And now to our sponsors, Titan Home Lending. If you are anywhere in the state of Florida and you need to get financed for a home purchase, for a refinance, for a renovation, reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, area code 205-790-1404. We work with veterans, first responders. We have access to conventional loans, FHA loans, VA loans, jumbo loans, and everything in between. So reach out to us at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404, and let me put you in that home of your dream. Ultimate Health Plans. If you have a relative or if you are of the age to take advantage of Medicare benefits, reach out to Patrick Highland at area code 813-966-1052 for all of your Medicare needs. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm very excited to show you the audience. We've got an awesome guest. We have a Super Bowl winning quarterback, a pro bowler, the first ever quarterback to win the Super Bowl for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one Brad Johnson is going to join us here in a second. So Brad is a um, Brad is a native of Black Mountain, North Carolina, and he's had a very distinguished football career. We're going to talk to Brad about his career, his journey through Florida State, the NFL, and beyond. He's got a he's got a couple uh, young sons now that are in the in the football business, so to speak. So welcome to the podcast, Brad. I appreciate having me on, Jason. Thanks for reaching out, brother. Awesome, man. That's great. All right, first question. I saw in the, my doing some research, your first name is James. Where did Brad come from, and how did Brad stick growing up? <laughs> well, now they call me Big Bad Brad. There you go. So, on TikTok, I'm Big Bad Brad 14. So, <laughs> all those TikTokers. But, no, James is a family name, and uh, Bradley is my uh, – my name, I go by Brad, and uh, just something my, I don't even know how my parents kind of picked that. They thought it'd be a kind of a cool name if a one word name. So but, awesome. uh, I go by Brad. I got you. And, and for the folks at home, his nickname is really The Bull. The Bull. Like hey, the bull. The bull. <laughs> that's, his, that's his real nickname that I know him by, The Bull. That's how everyone knows me. There's no doubt. I, got, I refer to The Bull. People don't realize Brad's about six foot five, about 235, 240, and looks like a bull. It is, is, is a is a was a chiseled chiseled hombre, a guy you don't want to mess with for sure. All right. So growing up in Black, you grew up, I saw you were born in Marietta, Georgia. How'd you, how'd you get to Black Mountain, North Carolina? Yeah, my, my dad ran, I was born in Marietta, but I, I grew up in Black Mountain, North Carolina. My dad ran 
boys and girls camps called Camp Ridgecrest and Crestridge up in uh, near Asheville, North Carolina, where, where most people go. So grew up in the camping world and a small town in Black Mountain. Uh, that's where Billy Graham, that's where he lived. It's uh, the, the basketball player with me. He was uh, Brad Doherty. He played nice. North Carolina for a long time. So he dunked on my head quite a bit. And then Roy <laughs> Williams was the uh, the basketball coach. He's in North Carolina. Now he used to coach in my high school also. So small town, loved it there in Black Mountain, went to Owen High School, and then uh, then chose to go to Florida State. All right, so let's talk about your recruiting process. How did you – a guy as a guy from Black Mountain, North Carolina, kind of decide to go to Florida State. What, you, I'm sure he had some other options. Brad was an All-American quarterback coming out of high school. What other schools kind of were in the mix? Basketball is my love. I was uh, player of the year in North Carolina. Play, ended up playing two years of basketball at Florida State. Um, I was a six-foot-five guy. that I played basketball from my second grade to, to my, my first year of college. Never missed a day. Never missed a day. Loved it. Played every day. I had, I had – keys to six different gyms uh, <laughs> I was a late bloomer in, late bloomer in football six foot five guy they, they told me that the guy that kind of reminded me at that time was Vinny Testaverde uh, six foot five quarterback who went to Miami won the Heisman um, and actually I started wearing my number jersey jersey 14 because of Vinny he was kind of my hero or okay. model that I wanted to be but coming out of North Carolina I, I grew up as North Carolina fan uh, Michael Jordan James Worthy Sam Perkins Brad Doherty Buzz Peterson Roy Williams, Dean Smith, I want to go to Carolina. And they offered me, they gave me an offer, but then my, my, my dream was really to play for a guy named Bobby Crimmins at Georgia Tech. Right, Mark right. Bruce Rumpel, and all those guys. And uh, so on my recruiting trip, my senior year, there was a couple of choices. I went to Bobby Crimmins and said, Brad, I, you, you come here, you'll probably be the sixth man. The other guy, the guy signing your spot is a guy named Dennis Scott. Dennis Scott was all American. Yeah, you go. He was – so he said, Brad, if you come here, you're going to be sitting on the bench. Dennis is the All-American. And uh, he said, what are you good at? He said, I'm good at football. i got more potential, but I don't want to sit beside Dennis Scott. So Dennis Scott changed my life. There you go. <laughs> so I went to Florida State, and I knew Florida State was a top-10 program in the country. It was on the rise. I'd get a great education, but I have a chance to play in the NFL one day. And so I chose Florida State for that reason. Then I ended up playing two years of basketball. And then actually Charlie Ward and I, we played together on City League together. Yeah. Dade Street. And, uh, but I uh, had great, great memories. And that's how I chose uh, football. Awesome. Awesome. How did, how did, was, was Coach Bowden pretty open to allowing you to play basketball? Was that part of the deal? He was and he wasn't. So he was from the standpoint when I first got there, I was, I was, I was, I was red shirted and wasn't right. playing. I was, a, I was, and uh, so I really wasn't really getting to do much in practice. But he did, he, he always preached competition, whether it's Deion Sanders doing track, baseball, or, and, and then later on, Charlie Ward and Cooper and these guys, they end up playing double sports also. Right. But as a quarterback, for me, I was competing in basketball. I was competing in football uh, against Casey Weldon. Right. Charlie was kind of his spot. He could kind of play both and miss spring football, half of spring football, and, and kind of work his way into it. And I couldn't do that. So I had to make a cho- career path, career choice, and uh, so I was going for it in football. All right, so you, so you, get, to, you get to playing football. I- Sophomore, junior year, you start to play a pretty good amount and have some success. You, you and Casey kind of split some time those last couple of years in school. How did that make you feel emotionally? You know, you're, you, you want to be the guy, but Coach Bowden, you guys kind of go back and forth. Coach Bowden and the staff, they go back and forth a little bit your last couple of years. How did that, you know, how did you feel as, as, a, as a competitor? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, it was, it was different back in the day when you came there that you told you were going to be redshirted. Right. 
there was Peter Tom Willis, Chip Ferguson, Danny McManus, Casey Weldon. So, hey, we were just trying to play our junior, senior year. Now, if you're not playing as a freshman, you're probably going to transfer. So, <laughs> so it's different. So my junior year, um, I was starting, started the first six games of the season. They made a quarterback change. They went with Casey Weldon, who played awesome. Uh, finished the season out, won the Blockbuster Bowl against Penn State. Next year, ranked number one in the country. He ended up being a runner-up to the Heisman. Only got to play one game when, when Casey got hurt. So, you know, going into my senior year, I thought about I thought about transferring to a smaller school. I thought about um, going back and just playing basketball one more year. I thought about going to the supplemental draft or going to Canadian League or just quitting football in general. And I said, no, that's not why I came here. I said, I'm going to ride it out. So I gave one more year, my senior year. I got into the draft, went to the combine, and then I got a chance. But so I don't think Florida State really got to see the best of me. I wish I'd got to play more. Absolutely. But I, I made unbelievable relationships there. I had tremendous respect for uh, Coach Bowden and the decisions they made. Mark Rick, who ended up ended right. up being my brother-in-law now, and uh, but just tremendous respect for for the way they handled it and the way it worked out. They um, people don't realize obviously when you got there, they were on the uprise. They weren't quite with the at the elite. I mean, the, they didn't quite win a national championship yet, but you guys were on the rise. It was a I mean, like Coach Bowden used to say, we'll play anybody anywhere. I don't, we don't care. We're, you guys weren't in the ACC yet. You were an independent, basically. So you're playing the Michigans of the world, the Nebraskas of the world, and Penn States of the world, playing those guys and beating them on their road in their, in their own building. How cool was it to be a part of that rise of a program that was so dominant? Yeah, when, when I, the year before I got there, 1987, they were, they were, they were I think they, were, they just won the All-American Bowl. They went to Birmingham. They won the Gator Bowl. Like the talk of, you know, the Cotton Bowls, the Sugar Bowls, the Orange Bowls, that wasn't really in the conversation. But there was great, great talent there. They, they own the state as far as uh, recruiting. And they said, listen, if you win the state of Florida, you're going to have a chance to win the national championship, beating University of Florida and Miami, and then they're making a run at it. But uh, that was the beginning of the 14-year run of um, finishing the top four. We didn't win the national championship, but we were always in the, in the running for it. Uh, practice was heavily co competitive and that's yeah. you got better in practice and then the games were pretty much you know a lot easier than practice a lot of times you just you're fighting for your life just to get reps in practice not alone game time but uh, it bred great competition it bred a lot of guys that went on to the NFL absolutely a lot of guys went on to win Super Bowls and great great careers and and uh, so it was a neat time all right, so you go to the combine you do your thing at the combine during that during that training period between the end of the year and the draft Let's talk about draft day for you. What was draft day like? Were you expecting to get drafted? Were you, I mean, what was your expectations going into draft day? Yeah, I only, again, I only played one game my senior year. That was against Louisville. I didn't have much tape, didn't have much film. You're a backup. The only quarterbacks that ever been drafted in the same year was Bill Joe Hobart and Mark Brunell, just like Casey Weldon and myself. So it doesn't happen when you're a backup. I did get into the combines. I felt like I was the top three quarterbacks of that class. Wow. Um, I thought that. Uh, the team that was going to draft me was the New York Giants. They said we're going to take a big, a big guy playing in New York. They had two older veterans in uh, Jeff Hosteller and Phil Sims, and they're looking for a young guy. At that time, they, uh, I was sitting with my dad at Burns Hall. We're, we're, that was the right. draft was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I thought I might be a third or fourth round. Then again, I might be a free agent. They drafted Kent Graham in the fourth round. In the fourth round, so I'm sitting there on day on Sunday. I get a call from a guy that used to be a campo. He's a equipment manager at Atlanta Falcons. He said, Brad, if you don't get drafted, we want you to come to Atlanta and be a free agent. I said, Campo, I don't think so, man. If I don't get drafted, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going home to North Carolina. 
I'm going to be a school teacher. I'm out, man. I'll never make a team if I'm a free agent. I didn't know how it really worked. So in the ninth round, my, my name came across the ticker. My dad jumped up. I said, what would you see? He said, I think I saw your name. I think I saw a putty cat. I said, <laughs> but no, he said, there's your name. I said, where's it at? So we had to wait. And so we waited for the ticker to come across again. It said Minnesota Vikings, ninth round, 227th pick. And then about five minutes later, I get a call from Denny Green and said, hey, Brad, we're taking you. We drafted you. We're going to give you a chance. And the guy that recruited me in high school, a guy named Jack Burns, yep. at University of Louisville, he's the one that saw me in high school and recruited me and just kept up with my high school career. So he took me up there. And uh, there was Rich Gannon, Sean Salisbury, and Wade Wilson. And it was kind of neat when I went there because later on I played against Rich Gannon 10 years later in the Super Bowl. And then right. Wade Wilson became a QB coach 16 years later in, in, in uh, Dallas. That's awesome. Actually, Jack Burns is from Tampa. He's got a lot of Tampa connections. Jack does. So it's interesting. And right. people don't realize the draft didn't always used to be seven rounds. It used to be 12 rounds. So you going in the ninth round, it used to be a 12-round draft. Now it's only seven. So you never know what would have happened with your career if it's a seven-round draft, if you get drafted in the seventh and all that stuff. So it's, it's just pretty, pretty cool. All right. So you get to Minnesota. You're playing with Rich Gannon, Warren Moon. What did you learn about being a professional from those guys those first couple of years? Yeah, Rich Gannon was the starter my first year. I didn't get any reps the first couple of years in practice. And I saw a guy that was tough, competitor, had a um, guy that came from Delaware, came out of the Blue Hen uh, uh, wing tee offense, a guy that grew and later became – had a 17-, had a 18-year career. And then, I, then Jim McMahon came there. Okay. That was my roommate in training camp. I saw a guy that could lead teams and maybe not as talented as some others, but he, he could lead teams. He could win games. And then, then Warren Moon came along and just saw the, you know, how he could lead, how he could throw and how, you know, how, you, how he just competed. So finally I got my chance. I went to the world league, played in London for one, uh, one spring, got a chance to be a starter. And then I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to play. But, but I think watching those guys, a rich Gannon, Jim McMahon, Warren Moon, just different ways to, to it's not all about how you throw a football. It's how you lead a team. It's how right. you lead your huddle. How you, it's how you compete every day in practice and, and those kind of things. Those qualities kind of are put in my bag. And I would think that coming from Florida State, where it was a pretty diverse offense, the transition to the NFL was probably a little easier for you because you, you were doing pro stuff, passing attack. You were running diversified, uh, diversified passing attack, throwing attack. How did that transition go for you? Well, I, I – I, you know, I, I think the great thing at Florida State was competition. Right. Keep going back to that. You know, the guys that we had, you know, Charlie Ward, Casey Weldon, Chris Winkie, Chip Ferguson, Peter Tom Wills, Danny McManus, Kenny Felder, everybody became pros. Right. So every day was very, very competitive. And then obviously playing for Mark Rick felt like I had a great foundation. Right. At Florida State. But when you go to the pros, everything's it's times times 20. And, you know, I remember going to the last – scrimmage axe double right spear Larry 735 h pump double cadence on two like what is that what is that <laughs> and jack burn my coordinator you know he took me under his wing man but it took me a while to learn the system in the, in the pro game and but but um but uh and they're not up. waiting for you they're moving the train's moving the transaction line is there's a transaction every day in the newspaper so i read it every day just to make sure my name put in that transaction <laughs> job, you know that's great. That's great. All right, talk real quick about NFL Europe. Did that really? Did that experience going overseas give you some confidence? Hey, I can do this. Hey, you play well over there, even though it's not the same level of, of player. But hey, I can do this. It's a tough league. Tough. Um, 
again, I didn't play much in college. My first three years, I only played training camp reps, those kind of things. I needed to go be a starter. I needed to go play. I needed to go make plays. I needed to go make mistakes. So I got to be a, a starter for 10 games. There's only 38 players on the team. Eight of them were foreigners. Uh, it was tough. Yeah. I think, uh, I think 21 quarterbacks went over. I think, I think 17 finished. I mean, I think 17 came back home. Wow. Either injured or didn't play well. I was, I was fortunate enough to be in a system in Minnesota. I've been there for three years. I knew the system. So I didn't have to go learn a system in London and then come back and learn some other system. So right. I had the luxury of kind of going there and playing. And uh, it was one of the best things, career decisions I ever made. Awesome, awesome. All right, so you have some success in Minnesota. 1998 comes along, and the Minnesota Vikings trade you to the Washington Redskins for a one, a two, and a three. Big trade. That's a pretty big move for a team to make, which which tells you Washington really likes you. They wanted you. How does that feel to be appreciated and for a team to say, I'm going to come get you, and this is I'm willing to pay to come get you? Yeah, I, I was looking for opportunity. At that time, The year I'd been the starter for – two years basically in Minnesota, but I went through a major, major neck injury. I lost everything in my arm down. So I missed the 98 season with a, a neck injury, a broken foot and a broken thumb. That was the year Randall Cunningham came in, was the MVP. It was the 15 right. regular season. I'd won three games, but I was looking for opportunity. Charlie Castle, he was the GM in Washington. He made the trade for me. Washington was a place that hadn't been winning. They couldn't, they, they, they had some talent, but they weren't winning. Right. So I made the trade, got to play for North Turner. Right. It was an awesome – it was a great move for me. I'd been in Minnesota for seven years, so I got to go there. We uh, went to the playoffs the first year. I uh, went 10-6, and six, won the first playoff game against Detroit. They hadn't done that in a long, long time, and and uh, things kind of worked out. So but I was thankful for that trade. It's, All it's, right, so I'm going to interrupt this. I'm going to interrupt this. we got a special guest joining us, the one, the only, the slickster from Tallahassee, Florida, brother. <laughs> in the flesh. Here I am, baby. Uh, Thank you. It's good to see you. Welcome, 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 Slick. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. Doing great. All right. I, I, Brad, I had to bring him on, man. He's the one that gave me your number. I had to bring the Slickster on, a little reminisce them old times. Tell me, because I, I don't know this story. How did you two guys meet and get to be good, such good buddies at FSU? Hey, Slickster, tell something, say something, don't tell it all, buddy. <laughs> I got a lot to tell you, Jake the Snake, a lot to tell you, but I probably will have to hold back a little bit of it. How did you two meet in Tallahassee, in all seriousness? Actually, it was kind of a funny story. My dad's best friend passed away. He had a heart attack, and before he left, he was a big FSU guy. And he was the one that paid attention to me, shot baskets with me when I was little, and he said, we're, he said Nick, we're getting this recruit, Brad Johnson. He's a Plays two sports, basketball and football. Florida State is up and coming. He was really an FSU guru. And I was real close with him. And then he passed away, had a heart attack. And then I came up to Florida State, and it wasn't shortly after that, right in my class was Brad Johnson. The bull. The bull. The bull. <laughs> the bull. So we uh, started talking a little trash to each other and ended up hanging out, playing tennis and stuff like that. Did you cheat off? Did you cheat off his notes in class, man? Hey, we were both struggling, <laughs> doing everything we could to make it. Everything we could to make it, Jake. That's Take awesome, man. That's awesome. But uh, right. yeah, that's yeah, cool. and then that's the cool. rest is history. So that's it's it's funny. You got a you got a small town guy from North Carolina. You got a guy from Clearwater, Florida. 
And of all places, you guys meet up and you guys are lifelong friends, man. Seriously, that's that's an awesome story, man. I tell you what, I haven't gotten any credit for all these years. <laughs> I want to tell you, I am the all-time leading receiver. I've caught more balls than anybody in his career, and I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get mine this podcast right here. We need to get you. We need to. Get, I need to get you a, a gold jacket, baby, for Canton. <laughs> Rick Flair, baby, in the flesh. Rick Flair. Hey, Slickster, he was a, he did all the running with me. Went to the sand pits. He caught a bunch of balls out there in the. We would go out there to the field. He'd run all the hundreds with me, and so he did. He did a lot, a lot of work. I was thankful for him. So and that's you know that's that's I mean Paul used to beat him up. He got he he became catching. That's funny. That's all right. All right, so two. All right, so you go to your first Pro Bowl with the Redskins in 2000, Brad. Then you become a free agent. You signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What was I know? Brian Billick was very interested in you to go to Baltimore. What kind of made you decide to come to Tampa with Coach Dungy as opposed to Baltimore, where you knew Billick a little bit, and, and, and obviously the, the next stage. Yeah, um, coming from Minnesota, Baltimore was going to make a trade for me then, and then Washington gave up more. So in free agency, I was. There were two other teams. There was Kansas City, three teams, Kansas City, Baltimore, and Tampa. No, that was the involvement. It's pretty much I was going go to go to Baltimore. I want to play in that system for Brian. They just won a Super Bowl. Right. So when we started doing contract negotiations, a couple things came up. The, the contract was better in Tampa. It was more secure. And then the other part of it, honestly, was Tampa never won a Super Bowl. They had three guys went on. Uh, Doug Williams, Steve Young, and Trent Dilfer went on. They won Super Bowls at different places, but – Tampa had never won one, and I wanted to be the first one that won one for Tampa. And, uh, and I knew it was a great fit. I played against the Tampa guys, Brooks and Sapp and Lynch, and I had great relationships with those guys. I just knew it would be a great fit. Tony Dungy was my defense coordinator in three years in Minnesota. So it just worked out. It ended up being the right decision for me at that time. That's, and also, you got to get Slickster some tickets at the 50 for the home opener. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right, Snake. <laughs> Lobster and lobster and steak served to me too. It burns, baby. Friday night it burns. Friday night pregame it burns, baby. <laughs> All right. So you're there one year. Dungy gets let go, and here comes John Gruden, a completely different animal as a head coach than, than Coach Dungy. The pressure of we traded for him and all that good stuff. Talk about playing for Coach Gruden in a new in a completely new offensive system. Yeah, I remember when I was watching him and uh, I was in Washington. Oakland was playing the Jets, and he went off on uh, he went off on Rich Gannon. It was just Rich threw some ball and air mailed it, and he went off on. I got my wife Nikki. I said, "Nikki, I will never play for that guy. That guy's <laughs> nuts. Gruden is nuts." And uh, so next thing I knew, we say something like that, then you end up being together. And John brought me into his office the first time he got the job and said, "Brad, we're, we're going to win the Super Bowl this year." Uh, you got to believe me. And uh, we're going to declare war on our defense with Monty Kiffin and Lynch and Simeon Rice and Rondé Barber. And, and uh, he said, how's our defense going to stop blast off the Joker right X short 22 X drive halfback burst? How are they going to stop triple right F right 358 Nebraska X scene? They can't do it. So he declared war. Can't do so it. Basically, <laughs> so basically he brought, and he brought in a bunch of free agents. Yep. Go Vicious, Keenan McCardell, Kerry Jenkins, Robin Oban, Michael Pittman, yep. Dilger. I mean, so we brought in a lot of guys. We needed to upgrade on offense, and and uh, so we did. And uh, just brought a different kind of attitude for us at that time, and just kind of it all molded out, and we all made the run for the Super Bowl and won it. So you, you had the curse of Philadelphia. Obviously, you'd not been here. I know you'd experienced a little bit of that. 
How was that the getting getting through the Eagles in the vet, closing the vet down to get to the Super Bowl? Just that because the Buccaneers that had a horror show at the at Philadelphia the last several years. How yeah, what was that feeling like? No doubt about it. They'd beaten us four straight times and beaten us in the playoffs two other times and yep. beat us that year that we won it October 20th. I went up there, cracked my ribs, missed a couple games after that. Going back to the vet NFC championship game in the cold. Um uh, you hit Jared Vicious on the long one down the sidelines, yeah. on the yeah. long crossing route, and then Rondé, Rondé finishes it off going coast to coast. He did. He did. Joe caught the play, triple left, A3, double smash X option, and <laughs> Rondé Barber shut it down at the very end. And, but it was a great victory for us, shut down the vet. And, uh, you know, Philly was a team that went to four NFC championship yeah. games in the Super Bowl. And so it was a big, big win for, for us to kind of get over the hump and then obviously to propel us to go to the Super Bowl. All right, so we get to Super Bowl Sunday. That that week was only a one-week gap, right? There was no two weeks. Right. So you right. get to San Diego, obviously all the pressure with Gruden against the Raiders, all that stuff. What is Brad Johnson, the quarterback, feeling Super Bowl Sunday? You know, it was, it was a great week for me because it wasn't the two-week. You didn't have a lot of time to, to think too much. Um, the hardest part was getting tickets to games. I had 22 tickets I bought and buying plane tickets and buying hotel rooms and that was the hard part. That was before texting and stuff was taking place. But the regular work week was the same for me. Um, the regular schedule was. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's one of them things like you watch as a little kid, you know, you're eating chips and dip and thinking, you know, you'd like to play in that game one day. Yeah. I remember 1987, Phil Sims, and they beat the great John Elway in the Super Bowl. And after the game, you got to say, I'm going to Disneyland. You know, I got – so there we were. We got to Celine Dion. She sang the, the God Bless America. And yep. Dixie Chick saying the national anthem, and I'm out there shaking hands before the game with Bob Greasy and Larry Zonka and, and getting ready to play in the Super Bowl with my buddy John Gruden, you know, and Keyshawn Johnson. So uh, we win the game, the confetti's falling. I was holding my son Max with Nikki seven and a half months pregnant with Jake. And that's awesome. I got to say, I was going to Disneyland. So it's a pretty, pretty awesome moment. All right, Slicks are for you. How excited are you that Super Bowl Sunday to see your really good friend, seriously, have put in all the work? all the time over all those years, get to the mountaintop. And like the nature boy says, walk that aisle, brother. You know what? I was a little bit jealous, Jake, honestly. <laughs> all those balls I caught, and I wasn't getting any of the accolades. But no, he called me and he said, Slickster, do you want to go to the Super Bowl? And I thought he was joking, you know, like, are you kidding me? Of course I want to go. So I got to flew out there, flew out there with his wife. And okay. I remember the plane was like two stories high, and it was – uh and when we came back, it was funny because I looked down and all the people in Tampa running and crowded for the plane to land. And some, some people were like, that's the Bucks, that's the Bucks." And I got off the plane and they're like, oh, that's nobody. It was just the, just the family. So they thought we were actually the team. So I remember that part of it. But uh, just seeing him win it all, I just, it went by so fast. I, if I had to do over again, I would have. I don't know. I think I would have held on tighter to it. It was just special. It was special. You just didn't know it at the time. It went by so fast. That's right. And I'll tell you, Brad, you know, you probably know this. I'm a diehard Bucks fan. I grew up here. So now I lived and died every play, every play, every year, man. So when you guys won that title, bro, you brought, I was up in Birmingham at the time living there. I was the only guy in a sports bar rooting for the Bucks. I was going nuts. I was crying. I mean, seriously, you brought a lot of joy to a lot of people's faces, man. Yeah. It was an awesome time. Awesome time. Awesome. All right, so you get towards you, – you kind of progress through your career a little bit. How do you know 
when you know it's over? How do you know when it's time to say, you know what, I've had a great career. I've been playing for a long, long time. How do you kind of know and realize that moment? <laughs> My moment, I, I, I got to, I played, played 17 years, 40 years old, and uh, I was down in Destin, Florida. I was running on the beach. My son was older, and he beat me in a race. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm too old. I got a little kid that can beat me in a race in the sand like – like Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed out there running. I think my career is over. But, you know, honestly, what happened for me was, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a bunch of – I had some major knee injuries and I uh, couldn't really run anymore. My, my arm, my um, – I had some elbow problems at the very end of my career. And uh, so I just – my body told me so. You know what I mean? That was pretty much it. And I, I wish I could have played another three or four years. But then when your body – when your body doesn't move, your body can't throw – then you're done. And uh, but I don't look back with any regrets. I did all the work. Yep. And uh, got, got to experience everything I wanted to, every high, every low. I got to experience it all. So uh, I'm very, very thankful for my career. So, so you know, you obviously you played longer than 99% of every guy that ever played in that league, which is unbelievable. Yep. What, do you, what are your thoughts of Brady these days? I mean, Brady's doing it at 43. He seems like he's in pretty good health. And obviously with all the stuff he does, what are your, yeah. just your general thoughts about being able to play that long and that productive at that age? incredible i mean he's been doing it for 20 21 years and he did it in college too didn't that get enough credit for what he did in college you know what i mean similar he, path to you it's very similar, similar. You know, plate plate was was sporadic and how much he played and all that in school and was yeah. given a late round pick given an opportunity yeah that's the hardest part is getting an opportunity you know and just and then coming through when you do get that chance and right so you pinch yourself every day when you got a when your name's on when your name you see your jersey in that locker every day, man. That's that's my jersey. That's you know I'm still I'm in the pros, you know. So it's hard to get that chance, but he's done it. He's won consistently every year. Led led the, you know for 20 years. I think he's only missed one year because of injury, and uh, so that's the biggest thing: staying injury free. And then he, he wins and it comes through, and guys believe in him, and and uh, he does it in good weather, bad weather. I mean, doesn't you know doesn't matter where he's at. So it's pretty awesome to see him do it for that long this consistent and hopefully he plays a couple more years. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of fun for, for some, I know he's grateful, you know, eight months ago, he's grateful for an opportunity that team gave him a chance to, to play, to lead, to lead an organization. So, and he came to a very, very talented team too. So it's, it's all worked out. Very similar to your situation. The Bucks needed that one extra piece to kind of get him over the top. They, the, seriously, the Bucks bring in you, the offensive stability and quarterback. And then the, the Bucks 20, you know, 18, 19 years later, bring in Brady to kind of be the, the, the elixir to get him over the top. Very similar situation. Teams are very similar. I mean, defense, they, they, they create a lot of turnovers. Yep. He brought, um, they got a great, great talent. There'll be a lot of guys on that team that become legends, Hall of Famers one day yep. on the ball team now, just like we have. And, um, and then just accountability and the consistent level that, that Brady brings is just, it's pretty awesome to see. And, and for the Buck fans, they you know they haven't had a winner since 2003, won a playoff game, and yeah. 2007 was the last time they they touched it, smelled the playoffs. You know what I mean? So it's pretty awesome to see what they're accomplishing. All right, so you played for a lot of great offensive minds: Bowden, Dennis Green, Billick, Gruden, Norv Turner, Mark Richt. How did each one of those guys influence you, or as far as or what did you, the diversity of the kind of offensive minds that you got to work with? Yeah, I think I think back at <clears throat> Coach Rick and Bobby Bowden, Florida State gave you a great foundation of just fundamentals and competition. In Minnesota, I was fortunate enough because I was in one system for seven years. Right. So you take a guy like Mark Sanchez, 
he was at six different systems in seven years, six right. different coaches. Baker Mayfield, I think he's in his third head coaches in his fourth year. So I had one system for seven. Then I got to move on with North Turner, um, really sped up my game, uh, quickened up my feet, took more shots, great in the play action game. And that was, that was awesome. And then Clyde Christensen and Tony Dungy right. is a great system winning football. And then John Gruden, a great teacher of, of uh, plays and what works versus different fronts, different coverages and, and, and being audible ready and those kind of things. And then I went back with Mike Tice up in Minnesota then finished out my career with Jason Garrett. So I just, I was fortunate in my career to be with a lot of great minds. A lot of guys that won Super Bowls at different times in their careers, head coaches or play callers. And so I'm, I'm thankful for the guys that I was with. All right. I'm going to tell you a record. You probably don't know you hold. Slick, <laughs> you know what this record is relative to completion percentage? I know it's up there. I caught a lot of balls, Jay. I know it's up there. He was the Brad was the first guy in NFL history to complete 60% or more of his passes for 13 straight years. I mean, you were always known as a very accurate guy. 13 straight years, you were over 60%. And, you know, back then when you came in, 60% was a hell of a number. Now it's a little bit more skewed because of the spread offense stuff. But back then, drop back passing 60%, that's a hell of a number, Brad. It is. It is. And, I mean, I took a lot of pride in it. Um, I felt like I always made great choices, great decisions with the ball and could get the ball to playmakers. So the game has changed. At that time, guys were throwing in the 50s. Mid 57 percent. Right. I got up to 63, 64 percent. And then now I think this year the game has changed, like you said, with the spread game and bubbles and quick game and stuff like that. And the rules have changed a little bit. I think there are three guys this past year that threw over 70 percent. Right. So you marvel at those guys that can do that. But I think the biggest thing with quarterbacks, I think obviously you got to be able to throw the ball, but I think it's the decision making is the number one thing I look at quarterbacks. Turnovers. Do not turn the ball over, man. A punt, people don't realize a punt's better than a pick. It's okay to punt. It's okay to punt once in a while. I mean, seriously. No, there's no, doubt. You, no doubt. All right. Let's talk gotta, about the trick. I got to tell you, Jakey, he, there's probably two moments that I remember the most. Number one, he came to – he was my roommate for about four or five years in the offseason. I had no place to stay. <laughs> <laughs> You weren't making any money, Brad. Come on, man. (laughs) But the first thing was he came back and said, Slickster, I think they're going to keep me. Really? I said, really? I think they're going to keep me. And so I had to go to this little bar down the street. Satellite was hard to get back then. You couldn't just watch any games. So I had to go to this little bar. It was called Quarters. Yep. And he came in for the first time, and we handed it off and kneeled down twice. And I was like, that's my roommate, man. He's out there. That is awesome. And that was probably right right under the Super Bowl. I know it's two different extremes, but that was exciting to see my roommate uh, just kneeling on the ball and being in the game, a preseason game. So it was great. That's uh, – I mean, I, seriously, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's – it's I mean, as, as much time as you spent with him in the offseason, seriously, training and those kind of things, helping him – when it's boring, it's, I'm sure, Brad, for you, doing that stuff in the offseason by yourself is boring as hell. To have a guy who's fun with you and pushes you and all that stuff and is willing to work with you is a big is a big help. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, Six is great friendship. Someone's always accountable. Someone's always someone's always there to go work out with and then kind of call you out, too. You ever good enough to play. You know what I mean? So he kind of kept it real, too. You know what I mean? So it was always going to be a backup or it was always going to get in there and compete. But, no, he, what he said was true about taking the first couple of snaps was just taking a knee. Like, I mean, it's, 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 that's what's so hard. That's what I was talking about. Like when you see your Jersey 
just in the locker room hanging up. It's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is. And then to get your first snap, get your first completion, those kind of things. And it, it makes you take you back to the days of the dog days of, you know, lifting weights and running in the heat and, and all those kind of things. Let's talk about the transformation of the quarterback position. Obviously, when you came up, you were the prototypical guy, 6'4", 240, pocket passer. Now it's kind of going the other way. They want the mo- they want the Charlie Ward of the of, 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 of the NFL. And by the way, can you imagine what he would have been like in this kind of system in this in this day and age? I mean, it would have been incredible what kind of player he could have te- he could have been. But how just that transformation of that of the way the quarterback position has gone in the last 20, 15 years or so. Yeah, the game has changed a little bit. I mean, you know, now you get kids doing seven on seven leagues. We didn't do seven on seven until I got to college. Yeah. And, and then you have spring football. And then you have all these combines and events and all from – I mean, they start in January and they go year-round. And this is for, you know, middle school kids too now, high school. And then and then I was the last quarterback in the pros to ever take every snap under center for the whole season. Wow. So there was no such thing as a shotgun. You know, and you had all these kids playing in the wing tee, you know, handing the ball off and 35 times and trying to throw the ball six. You know, now you're, you know, you're in middle school and you're running check with me systems. You're running no huddle systems. You're looking over the sidelines. You're getting your plays. You got two audibles and you're throwing the ball year round. So the game has changed and this RPO thing, run pass option, it's real. Um, but it's also, it's also a detriment to a lot of quarterbacks too. And the footwork and the decision-making, uh, a lot of things like that. So it's changed the game. The game is more active. People are scoring a lot more points. But I, I do think, and I'll be honest with you, I think the quarterback that usually wins is the pocket guy. Yep. Year in and year out. When you look at the Super Bowl champions, the last guy is always in the in the championship games. You have guys that can run around and make plays, but that game is one in the pocket. And it goes back to decision-making, accuracy, coming through in the clutch and leading your team. So – you know, a lot of times these quarter, these coordinators get a little lazy too. I'll call them out, but because they want a guy to just go make plays. Well, sometimes make call a better play. <laughs> call a better play. You know, spend more time in the spend more spend more time in the back cave and call a better play sometimes too. So, but I think the game's one in the pocket, but the game has changed. It's fun to see. I even think a guy like Slickster could get open this in some of these RPO plays. <laughs> Slickster could run down the sidelines uncovered. <laughs> oh man. I- 52 at 52 right now, Jakey. Things have changed, but <laughs> might have been be able to catch a hitch or something like that out there. There you go. There you go. All right. Last couple of things, and I'll get you out of here, Brad. Let's talk about your family a little bit. You got two sons. You got a son, Max, playing at LSU. As a dad, seeing him grow up. First of all, how did how did he become a lefty, man? Where'd the left hand come from? Still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought he was right-handed for till he was two years old. <laughs> and then I figured out I was a dummy. I was trying, I was training the wrong hand, but I started coaching Max and quarterback out of the womb. I mean, we were throwing balls and baseballs and frisbees and rocks and, and then eventually got to footballs and working on his footwork and steps. And yep. so it, he's a kid that loved to play quarterback, done it his whole life and, and uh, got to coach him through peewee, middle school, high school football. And then he's at LSU now. So, so I've come to dad just sitting in the stands, eating popcorn, watching him. So it's fun to watch him live out his dream. And I got another son, Jake, Jake is a uh, rising – he'll be a rising senior next year, and, and he'll play at one of those schools also. So it's, uh, it's kind of fun to watch them grow up, but they're totally two different kids, two different positions that they play, but it's fun to kind of watch them have their own career pass. No, that's great. I mean, the big moment this year, obviously, with Maxie, is his first start at Florida in Gainesville. 
great. You did it up. I mean, seriously, Florida was in the mix for the national title. He goes in there, wins the game with a depleted roster on Saturday night, prime time. It was an awesome moment. Slickster, remember, you, what are your, what are your remembrances of his kids growing up? You know, I, I saw him born. So I gave his kids swimming lessons with well, Max. I did. And uh, we used to do little jumping jacks. And I mean, I had his, I had his wrist in his hand showing him how to move his arms for swimming. So all the way back, all the way back when they were just tiny. So it's been fun to watch him grow up. It just happens so fast. That's so right. Fast. What was, and for Max, was, was there, was there a pull by you or other people around you? Hey, he's got to go to Florida state kind of deal, Brad, or what was that? What was that process like for Max? Yeah, it's hard. A lot of pressure. Uh, we live here in Athens, Georgia. So they kind of grew up as bulldog fans and Mark right. Rick, a brother-in-law and uncle was here, Georgia. So, and then Kirby was here. So there's a pool of Athens and there's a pool. Then Mark Rick was down at Miami, the pool of family, then the pool of me being at Florida state. And there was a couple other schools involved too. But at the end of the day, he had to make a decision where I want to be right. and blaze my own path. I don't want to be under my uncle. I don't want to be under my dad's footsteps. I don't want to be here in Athens under just cause I got to be the local kid. So I, it, it's, uh, it's been a great, great choice for him to go to LSU. Loved it. And uh, so he's got a you know long career in front of him. He's working every day, but it's been it's been fun to watch his uh, career path take place. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And, and again, how much I mean, the joy you've got to feel is how, how do you have an itchy trigger finger of wanting to scream, wanting to call plays, wanting to yell at him, and all that from the stands? Or do you are you pretty good in, during the games just watching him as a dad? He can't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I mean, on the stands, you're you're, you're helpless as a dad. I mean. So it goes back to those dog days of all those things of youth football and how to take a snap and how to read things out. But he's got great coaches too. So, I mean, he's a grown man now, and uh, he's got great coaches, great players. And But now as a dad, you try to, you know, you're biting your fingernails, you're eating popcorn. There's it's a little bit of excitement with a lot of nerves too. So, But you really just want to see him enjoy his, his process and let him live his dream, live his – let him go through his ups and downs and adversities. Let him have his own story. So – I'm there more of a sounding board and uh, my wife, Nikki and I, we just kind of, you know, cheerleaders in the stands now. You got, the, you got that, edit, you got that Eddie Orgeron uh, dialect down yet, man? Every day is on my way. That gumbo is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fun. Coach O's been great with us and I've been great with Max. That's awesome. Well, man, I just want to thank you, man. I've, this is an honor. Slick, thanks for the hookup, man, with the number. I appreciate you being a good sport, Brad, about having Slickster on. Slickster, okay. give, give the audience. Give the audience don't forget, a thumbs up. Don't forget, Rocky couldn't have done it without Mickey. I don't <laughs> care what anybody says. This is the man that won the fight. That's it, baby. <laughs> and give me a little Nate, give me a little Ric Flair going out the door, baby. Tell you something, baby. Wheeling, dealing, kids stealing. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Good seeing both of you guys, Snake. Snake, appreciate <laughs> it, brother. Man. Awesome, man. I really appreciate the time, man. Enjoy this week yeah. of the Super Bowl and, and keep keep doing good things, man. And hopefully we'll get to catch up again one day. I enjoyed it, Jason. This is one of a kind interview, man. I appreciate it. Always great seeing you, brother. All right, well, see, I'll talk to you soon, man. Y'all be good. Have a great week. Thanks, Brad. I'll see you, bud. See you, Jason. All right. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Hope you enjoyed our interview with Super Bowl winning quarterback Brad Johnson. And now it's Super Bowl week. And there's no two guys I'd rather have on for Super Bowl week than one T.J. Reeves of the Buccaneer Radio Network hosting 
hosting in our own city, our beloved Bucks are, have made history, and won T.C. Martin of the T.C. Martin Show out in Las Vegas, Nevada. T.C.'s going to give us some, some hype about what's going on Super Bowl weekend in Las Vegas, some gambling stuff for the weekend. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, it is great to be with you, first of all. I, I am T.J. of the Initials Brothers, T.C. in a moment. And you've already had the bull on, Brad Johnson, the Super Bowl winning quarterback, Super Bowl 37. He's the answer to the trivia question right now, the only Buccaneer quarterback to win a Super Bowl. But I have a feeling that TB12 guy might have a say-so in that, Brother I, Powers, coming Sunday night. Good to be with you. And I've got real quick, T.C., before you go, i got to tell the audience, I'm wearing my TB12 white shirt with the red Buccaneer hat. I've got to save the red Buccaneer shirt for Sunday because I've worn them that shirt seven Sundays in a row, and we're seven and zero wearing the red Buccaneer shirt. So I got to save the red one for Sunday. Oh, TC. Well, I just wish you would break out the old creamsicle. I mean, bring out the Vinny Testaverde. There, oh. go old school. Bring out the John McKay. Well, I guess that would be bad news. We don't want to do John McKay. <laughs> hey, McKay. McKay won a playoff that. game. McKay went to the NFC title game. It's right. like Doug Williams has always said. There we never go. had any problems going to the playoffs in the Orange when I played uh, for the Buccaneers. But That's yeah, right. the, the creamsicle has has gone the way of uh, of the dinosaur, and instead they're using the red and the pewter. For this that's game. It. That's it. Super Bowl parents number two. All right, let's get right to it. Before we get to the Super Bowl, so I want to get a quick reaction. Huge trade in the NFL this week. Matt Stafford gets shipped to the Rams. The Rams ship golf, two number ones, and a number three to Detroit. Your thoughts, TC, you go first. I really love the trade for the Rams because you know the Rams are are, are pretty much uh rock solid on the defensive side of the ball. They got plenty of offensive weapons, and I always felt that, you know, Goff held them back. And as I would say, I, every time I bet on the Rams, I got Goffed because <laughs> I can't stand betting on that guy. I can't stand watching that guy. I didn't, I didn't like him at Cal and I definitely don't like him with the Rams. Good riddance, get rid of that guy. And I understand the Rams gave up a lot to, uh, to get Matt Stafford. But really when you analyze this trade and look at both these guys, Matt Stafford is the better quarterback. No question about it because he was with the lions a lot of people think that, okay, this guy isn't very good and, you know, golf was with the better team. Put Matt Stafford in a better environment with better wide receivers, a decent running game, and obviously a fantastic defense on the other side of the ball. I think this could be Matt Stafford's swan song, and I love the trade for the Rams. And as far as golf goes, he couldn't go to a better place. Let him go <laughs> rotten Detroit with everybody else, just like all those other past quarterbacks in that graveyard in the Motor City. Did you see Barry Sanders with the tweet on like Sunday or Monday where uh, he, he replied to Jared Goff saying something like, I'm so excited to be part of the Detroit Lions and the Lions fam or whatever. And, and Barry Sanders put like three dots and, uh, and, and, and then I, I realized we're talking about a tweet and you need to visually see it. Go look it up because it should still be there. And then Goff is like, I can't believe that Barry Sanders retweeted me about being, uh, you know, excited to be going to coming to Detroit. And Barry Sanders goes, I'm not tweeting about you being excited or I'm not excited. Something like that about you coming to Detroit. It's Detroit. So uh, I, I will just, I, I will say uh, that this is obviously one of those where they're throwing golf under the bus 
in LA. The guy played through a broken thumb and helped them win a playoff game there at the very end. You would think he had done nothing, accomplished nothing. He won a couple of other playoff games for yep. them. They got to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. TC Martin, you're slinging, you're slinging this Matt Stafford is better than Jared Goff. What's he played in one playoff game? Do we really know that, TC? Yeah, you know, again, I've never been a Stafford guy, but again, it does get skewed because of the team that he's on and the surrounding talent he's had. The, the guy has never been able to keep, or their team has never been able to keep any wide receivers. You know, the running game has been abysmal. And we, as we know, the offensive line, I mean, this poor guy, I mean, he should have been out of the league five years ago. He got so banged up because our offensive line has been one of the worst in football. So I'm saying breath of fresh air, get him out to sunny California, good offensive line, good weapons around him. Yep. You watch Matt Stafford is, is going to shine this year. TJ Reeves. And I will take you whatever you want right now, Mr. <laughs> food bet. We got food bet going on this week weekend there's no doubt as you know we'll go double or nothing triple or nothing forget about the drive-through let's go with the steak let's go with the tacos you tell me what you want my man i will take matt stafford next year over jared goff right here right now with my man jason powers you got it can i get a witness here's all i'll say i'll i'll, I'll give a quick i think it's a good trade for both teams you hear gm say all the time if you think you're one player away Two number ones is worth it. If you think Stafford's that the difference maker, you go for it. And if you're Detroit, you're in a rebuild mode, the draft capital they're going to acquire, they might turn around and flip Jared Goff to somebody else. Who knows? In another six months to a year. Who knows? So if you're or Detroit they, and they a win -win, might win, you get the draft capital. And they might end up drafting another quarterback, by anyway. the way, with one of these picks anyway. And that might end up being the guy. And they got the number one picks as part of the deal. And just one more uh, on this. Do we honestly believe? I realize I work for an NFL team, and that team happens to be in the Super Bowl for this weekend. Uh, T.C. Martin had the Packers, by the way, minus three, just while we're throwing out bets and things we're getting that there. happened in the past. We're coming to that. Um, uh, do we honestly believe that Sean McVay just happened to be on vacation in Cabo? At the same time that Matt Stafford and his wife, yeah, disgruntled no. in Detroit, happened to be on vacation. Did you see this story? I did Just not. happened to be on vacation in Cabo, and they just happened to meet up to celebrate At the that pool. he was being traded to the Rams. Yeah. Uh, e even though the man had a no-trade clause in place where he could veto any trade, and there's no tampering that went on now. They never met. They never talked about it before. Nah. You know, these COVID-19 times. But they had a celebratory dinner in Cabo after the trade happened. That's we it. Honestly well, TJ, that. you know the you know the commercial. I mean, come on. I mean, what happens in Cabo stays in Cabo. <laughs> I thought that was your town. What happens in Vegas? Exactly. Right. Well, we've got a copywritten, but you know they took it. Let's get to Lambeau Field two Sundays ago. Your your beloved Green TC Martin's got some Green Bay history in the Green the Green Bay market. You, it sounds like you had Green Bay minus the three. He Your did on fourth and eight when the field goal team comes running on the field and Aaron Rodgers goes trotting off to the sidelines. So I got to say this, Jason. Okay. First and foremost, I was actually okay with that call. And it was a selfish reason uh, that I was okay. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you that in a minute, but when you look at the situation, I do not blame uh, LaFleur for what he did because at that time when you have, you know, two fifteen to go, two ten to go, and you've got four timeouts left. Okay, and so you've got three of your own, and you got the two minute warning. So you've got plenty of time. The Buccaneers didn't need just one first down if they get the ball back. They're going to need two first downs. So at least eight plays that 
they were going to get and things could have happened there very easily and the Packers should have got the ball back. And I believe that's what LaFleur was doing. He was trusting his defense. But here's the thing that not many people are talking about. Fourth and eight is not automatic. Let's talk about what they did on first down, second down, and third down. It was first and goal from the eight. They didn't gain a single yard on any of those plays. As we know, the two-point conversion is tough enough. It's less than 25% conversion rate. What do you think fourth and eight is? I mean, it's less than 3%. So, again, I I don't know. It depends. They should have have either done better play calling on first, second, and third down. And Rodgers could have used his legs specifically on that third down play. He might not have gotten in the end zone if he rolled right, but he was thinking about it. But, you know, he said, well, I, I saw the lane closing down a little bit. Didn't think that he could get much yards. But even if he gets within the five or gets down to the two, Automatic. it's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different it. thought process. You have a whole different playbook to go to. But in fourth and eight, we would have seen more of the same drop back, forcing a double, triple coverage, looking for Devontae Adams. So, yeah, sure, the Bucks would have had the ball at their own eight, but you still would need a touchdown and a two point conversion. By at least kicking the field goal, you can, you know, still pin them back a little bit. And then you get a touchdown with a regular extra point and you to win, the, win game. the ball game. But as I said, there was a selfish reason. I had the teaser pleaser and that field goal put me to the cashier, fellas. <laughs> it did. Losing by five, I got to the cashier. TJ Reeves, always, go ahead. Always you, a Vegas what are you, motivation. TJ, you're in the booth. At, you're in the booth watching the game in real time. You and Gene and D- Dave Moore on the call. What are your thoughts when you see the field goal team run on? We were saying, and again, the the full disclosure, we were not at Lambeau Field. We're doing the game remotely off of TV, and I I was shocked and saying off the air here, he must be thinking we're going to get the ball back with a chance to win the game because they had outside the two-minute warning and all three timeouts left. Otherwise, but you're turning the ball over to Tom Brady no matter what. I'm with TC, and we've said this over and over again, and we preach it here on the Powers on Sports podcast. If you're going to give the ball back to Tom Brady, you got to take every chance in that instance to get the touchdown and maybe yeah. the tying two yeah. before you give it back to him, particularly because the previous two games, he's he's taken the ball in the final three or four minutes and run the game clock out, even right. with timeouts. And that's exactly what they did to the Packers after the field goal as they ran the last whatever that was four minutes, three and a half minutes with all the timeouts left, they ran it off the clock. Yep. And the, uh, the end result is the bucks uh, get the victory. I just thought from the very beginning, and this will kind of get into our, our props discussion in a little while LaFleur was demonstrating. He lacked a feel for what have the bucks been doing? Well, right. he was playing checkers. If you win the opening toss, which they did green Bay, why do you not take the ball and go get a touchdown yourself rather than turning it over to Tom Brady, who now in the last five games has four opening drive touchdowns yeah. and a field goal, five games, yeah. four touchdowns and a field goal. If Andy Reed and the chiefs win the toss Sunday night in the super bowl, take the ball. They are, Otherwise yes. you're likely going to be behind seven to nothing. And, and we've it, seen that, you know, before where the, the Packers, they score on that first drive better than anybody. It, it is ridiculous what they do. The number one in the NFL with that. But as we know, guys, this is call it a, a copycat league. Like everyone likes to say, or it's avant-garde to defer to the second half. 
just about 90% of the teams do it. Yep. Anybody who wins a coin flip, I don't see them taking the ball anymore. And we're seeing it in college, we're seeing it in the NFL. They really want to try to go for the double-double. And you know what I mean by that? And the Packers had an opportunity to do that in this game, to score within the last two minutes, to have that last possession of the first half, and then to come back out in the second half and score and we've seen teams do it we've seen tampa do it we've seen green bay do it to get 14 or maybe you know 10 points in those two successes possessions and it can turn the game around and i think that's exactly what the packers were thinking why they said hey we'll defer we'll take the ball in the second half that we don't you know we'll see what happens in the first half but as you know tj and brad i mean tom brady was lethal on that final drive with one second hitting Scotty Miller, and then it, it, go, it goes from 14-10 to 21-10. Then we come back, and the Packers do get the ball, do nothing with it, turn it over. You know, Aaron uh, Jones fumbles, fumbles the ball. Next thing, now it's 28-10. Right. And it all happened within those first – rather, those two minutes of the end of the first half, the two minutes of the beginning of the second half. Four-minute span, look where this game went. That's your ball game. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll make one comment, then we'll move on to the game. we we got to get moving. Peyton Manning, we've seen over the years, wave off the field goal team to Tony Dungy. I'm serious. I am shocked that Aaron Rodgers did not give some kind of get off the field, we're going for it here, or, hey, Matt, as he's running off the field, let's call timeout, let's go for it here, because you can't allow the MVP to run off the field. And like you said, TJ, give the ball to Tom Brady. If we're trying to stop Mitch Trubisky, if we're trying to stop Cam Newton on a first down or two, that's a different ball game. You know Tom Brady's going to figure out a way to get a first down and run that game out. And I the agree. thing about it is that is not in Aaron Rodgers' DNA. That he just doesn't do it. You know, he'll argue with teammates, he'll argue with coaches on the sideline, uh, but really not in public. I mean, he'll berate his offensive linemen, but he is a guy, and you saw it. He'll just kind of tuck his head and say, "Okay, that's your call." Tom Brady would stand up to their coach. Uh, you know, Peyton yep. Manning has stood up to his coach. Uh, there's only Brett a handful Favre, of guys that do that. Favre, but covered Brett Favre for a long time. Favre yeah. wouldn't have gone along with that, I right. don't think. He's too much of a uh, gunslinger. You got to remember Favre and, and Holmgren Holmgren and even Mike Sherman. Sherman, they had a different relationship. And Favre is a little more outspoken with that. Right. But Aaron Rodgers, that's just not his personality, guys. And I agree. But, here, but I mean, if but you, you are the Super Bowl, but here, one more that. thing. If you're the Super Bowl winning quarterback who has been at the highest level in the NFC title game over and over again, and you got a second year coach. Yes. And you're at home. If he doesn't feel like in that instance that he can have some kind of say or veto power, TC, give us some insight. You got Green Bay moles, yeah. et cetera. Is that a sign of how fractured that situation is? And Rodgers is maybe going to get dealt. And this golf Stafford trade to go back to that is the first of several moves, including Rodgers to somewhere. Is that a sign maybe that that relationship is no good? What, what do you know? What do you think on that? No, it's well, the, the, you got to remember the relationship was rocky to begin with because, you know, bringing in a, a first year coach, you know, and then they said, okay, you know, Roger says, okay, let's see how this goes. And him and LaFleur had a lot of communication. They go, okay, you're basically, you know, you're keeping everything the same, which is important. As you know, when a new coach comes in, look what, how long it took Tom Brady to get a grasp of the system and everything. So Rogers was okay with that. Then what happens in the first year? They go 13 and three and he thinks, okay, this is pretty good. This is fine. Then what happens a couple months later in April in the draft, they go and draft Jordan Love, a mediocre at best quarterback out of Utah State. And Roger's saying, wait a minute, maybe things aren't so good. And there was all that talk. Oh, fracture relationship. Okay, I may be out of here. They go, okay, let's see what happens. 
well, they go 13 and three again. He's thinking things are pretty good. And then this comes up. Yeah. So it's the Packers aren't going to make that trade. I mean, no. you know, Rogers guaranteed money is gone right now. So he's stewing a little bit, but he's going to come back to his senses. And again, he's not going to demand a trade. So I think it's going to be okay, but reading in between line, that's not who Aaron Rodgers is as far as overruling his coach. He's going to go with the flow. Will he's, will he end his career in green Bay? Possibly not, but they're not going to make a trade and they're not going to get full value. So that's why the Packers won't make a trade. All right, let's get to super bowl 55 in lovely Tampa, Florida, Mr. Reeves, a nice chilly day today in the mid fifties. Rain expected at some point Sunday. We're not sure when the rain's coming, but it sounds like there's some rain in the forecast. Kansas City's minus three, 56 and a half is the number. Give me a ma- let's go to let, give me a matchup, TJ, that you're looking at that's really going to be key to this matchup, Super Bowl 55. Well, I think it begins, it's not sexy. It begins with the Bucks offensive line. And if they keep Brady as protected as what he has been in the Green Bay win and the New Orleans win, and even going back to that great, uh, we forget the, the arguably the best defensive line in these playoffs was the Washington football team, the WFT, and they only touched him once the entire game. So if that offensive line can give him time to throw, I think that's the first, that's the keenest matchup to watch as this game unfolds. You can talk about Tyreek Hill's explosiveness. I'm sure we'll get around to that. You can talk about the playmakers that Kansas city has or Tampa Bay has in the passing game, et cetera, et cetera. I think it starts with the Buccaneer offensive line. That's where I would go with matchup. Number one, TC. Uh, I'm going to go on the other side of the ball here. I, I think that you've got to look at, um, you know, what uh, Tampa can do defensively. Okay. Can they hurry Mahomes into possibly making some mistakes? He doesn't make any mistakes. And that Kansas City offensive line within the last few days, that is the big question mark. I mean, we saw what happened, uh, you know, losing their offensive tackle, their stud, you know, um, you know, going Eric back Fisher, to the championship Fisher. game. It, it, yeah. And now, yeah. So with, with Fisher out, that's a big blow, but then, you know, when you go ahead and you have um, another offensive lineman uh, who's going to be out now, you've got, you know, possibly a backup center due to COVID that could not play. Uh, it, it just hurts them. And they're a little bit thin now yeah. on that offensive line. So I'm a little concerned with that, especially the way we saw the Tampa Bay defensive front harass Aaron Rodgers and sack him five times and six times prior to that, when they met, you know, before in Tampa. So to me, that that is huge. Are they going to be able to protect Mahomes yep. and give him time? And still, the turf toe may be a little bit of a concern. What can Mahomes do? So, you know, for me, uh, if Mahomes is given time, there's too many offensive weapons. I don't see how the Bucks can stop that, specifically Travis Kelsey. And we know the Bucks are not famous for for shutting down, you know, tight ends. TJ knows that uh, himself, but for me, I'm really looking at that offensive line for KC. Can they hold back those beasts that they have on that front seven for Tampa Bay? I think this is going to be a matchup in the red zone. I think this is going to be a red zone game. I think both teams are going to move the ball pretty easily through the twenties. And I think this is going to be a matchup in the red zone. Spagnolin, Todd Bowles. When you condense the field, you kind of reduce Tyreek Hill's explosiveness a little bit. You don't have the 45-yard vertical routes, the long crossing routes. I think, can you contain Kelsey in the red zone if you're the Buccaneer defense? And if you're the Kansas City defense, I think, again, it's gonna, you're going to see the Bucs spread them out. And can the Buccaneers run the ball in the red zone? I think it's going to be a red zone kind of game. Field goals versus touchdowns in the red zone, to me, is going to be a big key in this game. 
And for what it is worth on that point, Kansas City won the game and they were up big. They were up 17-0 in the first half. I mean, my Lord, I was standing down there in the operational zone in the front row working Buccaneers radio, and Tyreek Hill was something out of uh, the roadrunner. Beep, beep, going by the Buccaneers secondary. So uh, in that in that instance, Kansas City, though, was 0 for 3 in the game in the red zone on getting uh, touchdowns or scores of any kind, as a matter yeah, of fact, right. because Mahomes had a sack fumble. So right. that was another big part uh, of this. And uh, it, yeah, I think you make a good point that, that it may come down to that in the second half, in the fourth quarter. Who is capitalizing on chances in the red zone, Jason? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's get to uh, give me a prediction before before we get to the props. Give me a prediction. What do you obviously TJ? We know we know where TJ is going to ride. What do you honestly? What do you think, TJ? You think the three points? I I, I still I continue to maintain high scoring game. Yep. Something like 31, 27, 34, 31. This yep. is not going to be thirteen ten. No. Uh, if there is a little rain, the field drains exceptionally well. That's not going to be that big a factor. Both of these offenses are going to score. So I got bucks. Something like high scoring. Take the over, TC. I don't know how you feel about the over. The over is like 56 or 57. It's like the second second largest over ever. What do I know? I think this is a game where the Bucs and the Chiefs may both be in the low 30s, something like that. TC, yeah, the, to- the, to- the total opened 57 and a half and actually has got bet down. Uh, wow. you can you can find some 55s, even 54 and a half. Wow, and I think you know the rain is, is going to scare some people away as well, too. But uh, again, I think you know, with those things with the offensive line, that's scaring some people off a little bit, too. And I think it's going to be high scoring, but not you know, crazy high scoring like uh, we're talking about what we've seen in the past the Chiefs guys if you remember you know they they've covered you know one out of their last 10 games right and, that, and they have not been you know going up and down the field and like you said Jason the red zone is such a key uh you know element here but I do think that they have enough uh to score I think Kansas City is going to win the game somewhere along the lines maybe of a you know 32 to 23 games, something uh, uh, along those lines that push it, you know, slightly under. But uh, again, I think a lot of people are expecting a track meet. And if you look at both quarterbacks, look at both offenses, especially the way they're playing specifically the bucks right now. I mean, you can make the case where it could be a track meet, but you know, we saw Brady make some mistakes. And I think that, you know, you know, Kansas city with the two weeks to prepare, we know Andy Reid is famous for that coming off the bye week. We got that situation here as well. You mentioned Steve Spagnola. Yeah. I think that they're, they're going to have some uh, something up their sleeve for Brady and company. Remember, folks, talk. Spagnola. For you don't remember, folks, Spagnola was the defensive coordinator with the Giants when they beat the Patriots the two times in the Super Bowl. So he knows Brady well. Yes. I don't think their front four is nearly as good. I think Chris Jones is the best guy they have. I think the Bucks key back to TJ's point. Don't let Chris Jones wreck this game up the middle. Jensen, Marpet, and Stinney against Chris Jones. I think you. You, you, you say, Tristan, you got your guy. Donovan, you got Frank Clark. Contain Chris Jones. All right. And one other point, too, that's a difference from the November game. Vita Vea, the first-round pick for the yep. Bucks on the defensive line, didn't play in the first game with a broken leg, has amazingly recovered enough to where he could play here at the end of the year after breaking the leg in the beginning of October. Right. That'll be a difference up the middle for the Buccaneers that will be a factor as well. All I know is I'm in good shape because my man TC was doubting on Tom Brady, yep. hating on the Buccaneers, taking the Green Bay Packers. I tried to tell you before it happened, right. this is advantage Buccaneers with Brady at the helm. So one more time, I'm trying to preach to you before you go to the window in Vegas, TC, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl at home. He ain't losing, babe. 
He ain't uh, losing this game. I'm with you. Disclosure, man. Now, come on. You got to be fair. You know I love Brady. I like your Bucks. I've been on your Bucks uh, for the most part during this run. But when they were coming into Lambeau Field, I said, you know, this is this is the you Packer time. Realize. You're only laying a field goal. Yes, I took I the Packers. But hold on, but I've hold been on, on your you Bucks, do, my man, many I know times. You have, you have including including I was on the Bucks back in that, that Week Six matchup, my friend. Right, yes, yes, I went to the cashier with that putrid and whatever. You, you call it red, red whatever against you the Packers. All right, one more thing. You do realize that a uh, a year ago, and and we're taping tonight on the Powers on Sports God podcast on the anniversary of the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl a year ago tonight. Mahomes threw two interceptions in the second half of that game, and they right. were losing by ten points to San Francisco. I am here to testify one more time at the altar of the Powers on Sports podcast and bowing in front of T.C. Martin. If he throws two interceptions in the second half at Raymond James Stadium in a game that's back and forth, they are losing. I agree. Better take care of the ball. There, there is another food bet, ladies and gentlemen. I will take the under on Patrick Mahomes' <laughs> two interceptions in the second half. Okay, Let's go. I'm taking the Bucks on the uh, money line. out. If you're going to take them, buy them up to three and a half. I'm with you, T.J. Bucks win the game. 34-27, in my opinion, something like that. And again, I, I think I think it's destiny for the Bucks this year at home. All the stuff with COVID. You know right. who I love for an uh, for an MVP prop? Buccaneer linebacker Devin White. I saw this everywhere. Is like thirty five or forty to wow. one as wow. the MVP. I mean, all the big names: Mahomes, Brady, Mike Evans, Kelsey. They all have very very uh, small odds. Devin White at linebacker may make two or three huge plays in this yep. game. I yep. like that as just a, as a shot in the dark, underdog, wild card, MVP pick at 40 to one, Buccaneer linebacker Devin White. All right, give me a quick, quick overview here, TC. Give me the mood of, of Las Vegas this week, the biggest gambling weekend of the year, biggest day of the year. Give us a quick update of what's the mood in Las Vegas heading into Super Bowl Sunday. You know, it's a little bit subdued right now uh, j just because of, of COVID and everything, but people are are still planning on coming to the strip. Sports books have 25% occupancy. Uh, believe me, they'll, they'll probably creep over that a little bit. But, uh, you know, we, we've seen the action in the sports books, you know, over the last couple of weekends, you know, with the championship game and the handle has been fantastic. So I, I think that, you know, you're still going to see betting action. You've got great two-way betting action right now. We had a $2.3 million wager on I the bucks that. a couple of days ago. A couple six-figure bets came in as well. A couple That's six a smart bets man. That's a smart man or woman that put that bet yeah. on the Buccaneers. Yeah. So, uh, again, I think we'll, we'll see a, a real good handle. We might not see the record handle just because – uh, there might not be as many people here right, in Vegas right. and through Nevada uh, on Sunday. But, and the uh, one no, thing the, you the were saying starting to pump up. on your show, TC, is Nevada is different than a lot of other states where you cannot online gamble in Nevada through an app or whatever. You have to go to an establishment, correct, under Nevada well, law. So that makes a big difference, right? Well, you got to remember, okay, it, most of the people are betting through the, the app. Now, the app is – you can do in-game wagering, all that, and you can be on the app and wager anywhere in the state of Nevada. You just have to make your deposit at the counter. So there you go. So that's the deal. So you go and you make your deposit, TJ Reeves. You come to town. That's okay. You show your driver's license. You, you get that William Hill mobile app. Use the promo code TC50 to get a free $50 in your account. You <laughs> got to do go. it, Jason Powers. TJ Reeves, you got to do it. it. And then you can bet wherever you watch the game. And gotcha, remember man. the in-game wagering options. You can bet on every play. It's craziness. All right. We're running a little short on time here. So give me a prop bet that you like, TC, real quick. 
I don't care what the number is on Travis Kelsey. It's O-V-E-R. I don't know how the Bucs are going to be able to, to stop Kelsey. This is a great matchup when you look at uh, look at him against this Buccaneers defense. Yep. Travis Kelsey over in the catches. Travis Kelsey over in the yards. Travis Kelsey touchdowns. He could be the MVP. I'm going to give you two on my end. Fourth down conversions. Both Buccaneers and Kansas City are minus about 130 on converting one fourth down in the game. This is going to be an aggressive game, play calling-wise. Fourth and short, I think both teams are going to go for it and not settle for field goals or anywhere around midfield. So I love Kansas City and the Bucks both to convert a fourth down in this game. I TJ, like that you call. mentioned you liked, your, like you liked your Devin White. Any other quick ones? Give me Tom Brady to throw at least a couple of touchdowns. He's done it over and over again. It's not going to stop in the Super Bowl. He's going for a seventh championship, and I think the Bucks get it. I, I hear you. I hear you. All right. All right. So real quick, quick Super Bowl bad beat. I'm going to give you a quick story. When the Super, when the Bucks won their Super Bowl back in with, with when the Bucks beat the Raiders, I had the the Super Bowl square, the numbers, the the one in one number. When Dwight Smith went coast to coast with five seconds left in the game to make it 48-21, that coast to coast cost me fifteen hundred in the square, oh. and I am doing backflips in the sports bar saying, "Get tackled, pull a hamstring, something." Because <laughs> you had one one on the Derek Brooks interception, yes, and that may, it was forty one twenty one, and then yes. Dwight Smith picks it with two seconds left yeah. for the fifth Rich Gannon interception, the third pick six cost you fifteen hundred. I don't have anything like that. All right, real quick, I, we got to get out of here. Give me a quick plug, TC Martin Show. Where can we find you, TC? Yeah, uh, Monday through Friday, two to four p.m. Pacific. TCMartinShow.com. You can listen live. If you don't uh, hear the show live, go to the podcast under the. Uh, on the website in the podcast section, go check it out. Listen, listen to Bucks Radio. Sorry, listen to Bucks Radio Sunday. We're at TJ. All over the Buccaneers Radio Network, Buccaneers mobile app. We're we're broadcasting Super Bowl Fifty Five out of the home Sit, stadium. Baby. Can't wait for Sunday, Mister Powers. Great to be with you. Before we get out of here, I'm going to give you a couple more quick Super Bowl props that I like. And before we get to the props, just remember special thanks to TJ Reeves and TC Martin. Again, catch T.C. Martin on the T.C. Martin Show out in Las Vegas, Nevada. T.C.MartinShow.com. He's got a podcast as well. And again, T.J. Reeves on the Buccaneers Radio Network on Sunday. If you're on, you'll be able to listen to the local broadcast on Sirius XM, as well as the Buccaneer Radio Network all throughout the state of Florida and on the Buccaneers app. So those guys do a great job. They are dialed in to the football scene in both Tampa and Las Vegas, Nevada. So let's get to a couple more Super Bowl props that I like before we get out of here. I like Ronald Jones' longest run of the game over 12 and a half yards. Here's one I like as well. The Buccaneers to convert more than five and a half third downs in the football game. Over five and a half third downs. The Bucks. To win the first half by 1 to 12 points. That means the Bucks have to be leading at the half from 1 to 12 points. You get very good odds on that, plus like 175, 180. Also potentially for Mike Evans to score the first touchdown of the game, especially for the Bucks. They like to go to Evans early in the in the in the game in the red zone. So look for Brady to Evans on the for the first touchdown of the game. You'll get somewhere around plus eight hundred for the for the for both teams, and about plus four hundred for him to be the first Buccaneer to score the touchdown. 
I also like Mike Evans over 64 and a half yards. I think he's way more healthy than he's been. I think the Kansas City DBs are, are vulnerable. And I think you'll see Brady go to Evans significantly in this game. Mike Evans over 64 and a half yards. You heard TJ talk about Devin White potentially as an MVP sleeper around 35 to 1. And you heard TC Martin talk about Travis Kelsey over the receiving yards total for the game. Whatever it is, TC says play the over. Again, Buccaneers win the game. I like the Buccaneers on the money line. Load the wagon, take the Bucks, and on their way to their second Super Bowl championship in 2021. Special thanks to Brad Johnson, the first ever Buccaneer quarterback to win a Super Bowl, the Florida State star. Had a very long and distinguished career in the NFL as a quarterback, pro bowler, Super Bowl champion. And thanks to T.C. Martin and T.J. Reeves. We'll see you next time on the Powers on Sports podcast.